Hi, I'm Victor Milligan, your host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. And joining me on the phone today is senior data analyst Anjali Lai to discuss Forrester's emerging customer energy index. Welcome, Anjali. Thank you, Victor. So in our podcast, we often talk about research that has been completed. And I wanted to take this opportunity to talk about work underway to give a sense to our audience what we're thinking about. So Anjali, what are we trying to get accomplished with this index? Yeah, so we are um, really trying to tune into um, uh, how consumer uh, perspectives and uh, behaviors subsequently are changing. Um, and typically, you know, on Forrester's analytics team through our consumer technographic studies and uh, qualitative research, social listening research, we, we're, we're looking at this um, at a broad perspective, right? So we're, uh, we've been benchmarking changes in behavior and attitude for, uh, you know, over two decades. But what we're looking at now, which is different and is sort of evolving our understanding um, of how consumers are making decisions and, and sort of what is driving their expectation for brand engagement, for customer experience, um, what we're looking into now is how those attitudes are really fluctuating um, uh, you know, month to month, uh, day by day, and, and oftentimes even from one moment to the next. Um, I think, you know, right now we're living in a time where, um, you know, every sort of data breach, every um, major campaign, every uh, revelatory headline um, changes something in the consumer environment. It almost is like this new sort of stimuli in the consumer environment that um, affects uh, consumers deeply in terms of their ability to um, or willingness to trust a brand or their desire to engage with um, some sort of novelty or innovation. Um, and this is really, you know, this has been at play for a long time, but I think it's sort of amplified or, or hyped up today because of how quickly um, pretty drastic events are unfolding. So in that, it's, it's interesting because one argument would be that there's so much news and the news has so much juice behind it that what has happened is the noise floor just goes up. People just get sort of numb to everything. But I think what we're finding is, is sort of you're stating is that some things rise above the din and those things are happening at a fairly constant pace. And so you might see marked changes in consumer attitudes, which ultimately play out in spending habits, in use habits and other things that that we're st- even though the noise floor is up, we're still living in a relatively volatile world in terms of consumers' response to that noise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's absolutely the case. And so, so you know, two two points to that. So one is that we've actually seen um, consumers become less immune, as you said, or less kind of apathetic to the news over time. So if you take um, just the example of reaction to data breaches, we've been tracking this in our data for for many years now, and we found that in um, you know, say 2012 to 2013 or so, um, consumers felt like this was actually becoming um, a, a regular, um, unfortunately, a regular phenomenon, and, and, and people were responding to data breaches with the sense of, um, you know, feeling helpless, there's nothing they could really do in response to that. This is sort of the way the world was. But as, um, you know, the, 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 news sort of unfolded and as events continued to unfold, we actually saw consumers um, step up and, and uh, you know, 
move from that place of apathy to um, a place of really kind of becoming empowered uh, as the, the years progress. So by like 2014, 2015, we actually saw those same consumers um, saying that there are now things they could do to take control of their data, to, 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 to protect themselves in some way, to um, become knowledgeable about how their data was being used and shared and what the inherent risks were. Um, so that's an example of how, you know, we always talk about consumers becoming empowered. That, that's a specific um, instance that we actually saw play out over time that shows that consumers are not um, always uh, simply reacting, right? They're they're really becoming um, driven to 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 step up and to become knowledgeable and and take control of their experience and their choices. Yeah, there's a funny dynamic because for a long time the the thought process was privacy was important, but really not that important. So that you would actually have a vast minority of consumers who really care or take an action against privacy. So GDPR sort of happened in that backdrop. And what's interesting is it's in part driven by maybe a small cadre of sort of social activists or people that, you know, allow the tribes to form and give the tribes something to talk about and consumers rally around that. So even though you may not have every consumer worried about privacy, they will join in that conversation that might be triggered by some, some person who has an advocacy position as it relates in this case to privacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it takes it takes some time, right? So people, of course, evolve at different rates and sort of in different ways. There's always going to be that segment that is really sort of leading the charge and, and you know, we might call them the most empowered, um, the most uh, sort of activist, um, you know, the, the, the most vocal. Um, but then there are others that, that are exposed to that sort of, uh, you know, dialogue and that, that are part of that conversation that eventually kind of make decisions in, in a new context as their understanding of, of all of this evolves. Um, and that sort of leads to, to the second point, which is, um, you know, to, to what you were saying earlier, that there are some events that really do um, strike a deep, you know, emotional chord with consumers and, and truly change perspective and change behavior. Others, um, I think, you know, sort of maybe flare up on, on like social media and then die down pretty quickly. Um, what we're also trying to do with current research is understand which specific events truly precipitate a shift in consumer perspective and, and subsequently behavior um, and, and why that's the case. And the heart and soul of this is not an academic exercise or a benchmarking exercise. It's, it's a simple comment that consumer attitudes drive spending behavior so there is a very close tie between the economic impact of all of this and the consumer impacts, as you described, fluctuate and can get quite volatile given just the, the hyper news environment we're in right now. So we're trying to create that sort of predictive force between how consumers respond and what is a likely economic impact of that from a, from a macro or even a micro standpoint. Exactly. Yep. Yep. That's, that's the hypothesis. And so... In terms of the the data, we are looking very closely at um, you know consumer attitudes and and um, uh, behaviors um, in near real time, which is really um, exciting. And it's sort of the first time that we're able to uh, collect data so so quickly and, and turn around the insights um, essentially instantly um, on our analytics team. But then the goal is to correlate that and understand the 
relationship to things like spend um, or, you know, the, uh, yeah, the, the, the economy or sort of market health and, and um, consumer sentiment and uh, other sort of trends and really understand what the relationships are. Um, and, and that will give us greater insight into how consumers are really sort of um, powering uh, this, um, uh, you know, the, the evolution and sort of need to, to evolve. So an example of something that rises above the din and actually changes people's thought patterns and behaviors is probably Facebook and um, Cambridge Analytica. What was the learning from that dynamic? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a great example. So um, it's an interesting one as well because there's a lot of um, sort of speculation right around people whether consumers will actually leave Facebook, whether the brand has truly lost some goodwill, um, or whether this is another um, uh, uh, sort of media storm that will eventually blow over, consumers will forget, and, and at the end of the day, nothing is different. Um, and what we found when we did this research is that um, the, the former is more of the case, right? So it is true that consumers are seeing Facebook's brand as losing some goodwill. Um, they are sort of perceiving that Facebook is less likely to have a positive uh, impact on their quality of life. So, for instance, as of March 1st, right, before any of the news broke about Facebook, 35% of U.S. online adults said that Facebook was a positive addition to their life, sort of enhanced the, the quality of their life overall. After the news broke, as of April 1st, only 10% of U.S online adults could agree that Facebook was still a positive force of life. And what's most interesting about that is that there is no relationship between that data and basic demographics like age, right? So it's not that younger consumers are still trusting Facebook, whereas older consumers have sort of lost that trust. There's no relationship to income. There's no relationship to um, even political leaning. So this is really not a political reaction among consumers. The change in consumer attitudes and consumer emotion is the number one piece of insight that explains that movement and that loss of trust and feeling of affiliation with Facebook. So the point about Facebook is not strictly that there was a decline. The point is that there was a, a material, a very significant destruction of brand, at least for that period of time. And, you know, candidly, if Facebook had not done some remedial work after that, they still might be living in, in sort of a, a bad time as it relates to brand. But the larger point goes to the economics, is that this movement of sentiment or attitude ultimately will impact economics, that this will deal, this will drive changes in spend, whether it drives it up or down, or changes I spend on what or who. So this, this is what we're trying to tie, which is how we track changes in attitude and ultimately how they change the economics in the market. Is that correct? Right, exactly. That's correct. And we have to do um, additional research, right? So the hypothesis is that this closely links to um, uh, uh, specific behaviors, um, and, and we're building that out right now to understand what that dynamic looks like, what the relationship looks like between the shifting um, attitudes, um, sort of intrinsic among consumers, and their um, actual uh, spend, and um, even, you know, sort of market health, um, and, uh, you know, other kind of environmental factors. Um, so we're looking at not only what that relationship is, but how predictive the relationship is so that we can make, um, you know, assumptions or, or sort of um, projections moving forward. 
So the irony is that the same time this happened with, with Facebook and Cambridge Analytica is around the same time that Facebook is launching uh, Facebook Marketplace. So this is their attempt to essentially steal, spend away from Amazon and others. And this, this you, you got to think that this would take a chunk out of people who are contemplating moving over there. Can they trust it? Do they want to support Facebook's effort? Do they want Facebook to essentially win in the marketplace? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And we're seeing that as consumers' attitudes towards Facebook shift, um, and you know, in recent uh, weeks or sort of between the month of you know March and April, um, as those attitudes became increasingly negative, there are um, implications, right? There are other sort of residual effects that will bleed into uh, consumers' uh, willingness to take another sort of trust leap, if you will, and engage with Facebook Marketplace um, or, uh, you know, give Facebook the benefit of the doubt and, um, uh, you, know, if, you know, try it out or, or uh, continue purchasing or, um, or become more deeply engaged. Um, and what's really interesting is that we're actually seeing these residual effects having a much broader um, reach than just you know, around sort of Facebook's brand itself. So um, consumers, um, uh, or I'll say, as attitudes towards Facebook became negative, they sort of correlated with consumers' overall appetite for innovation um, to, uh, to, to decrease. So an example of that is, again, in early March, around 33% of U.S. online adults said that um, artificial intelligence would be a positive uh, force in in their life and sort of enhance their overall um, quality of experience. Um, But after that news broke about Facebook, again, in early April, only 22% said the same. And those attitudes are very strongly correlated to the shift in perspective towards Facebook um, and, and uh, you know, everything that transpired. So what this really shows is that there are certain brands, there are certain um, uh, events and, and instances that can truly um, uh, shift consumer um, uh, willingness to be engaged and to be open and to um, exercise their empowerment and look for great brands and products and experiences, um, those same events can also sort of cause that uh, you know, energy, as we call it, to, to wane, um, which then causes people to be less inclined to seek out new experiences and less uh, likely to engage with, uh, with, with innovation. Right. We are getting much more comfortable with some of the traditional firms failing. We've seen Blockbuster, we've seen Toys R Us, we're seeing some big brands now that we're in the comfortable conversation of failing, but we, we're not yet in, the convers- in that comfortable position of saying, well, gosh, Apple will fail or Facebook will fail or others will fail because it's almost beyond our imagination, yet we're comfortable with others. It's interesting with this Facebook and Cambridge Analytica is that it opens up this concept of this volatility can be quite injurious to a brand, in some cases, borderline fatal. I mean, this gives it this, this market a, a tighter sense of this existential threat that exists with all of this volatility. Yeah, no, it, 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 it absolutely does. And, and what's really interesting also is to look at how, um, you know, competitor brands can um, just as quickly sort of enter the picture, and as long as they're sort of saying the right thing, that uh, dials up the sense of consumer energy, um, really sort of almost, you know, uses their product, you know, experience, brand voice to um, 
almost create this magnetic pull and, um, and, and have consumer energy sort of orient towards the brand, they can, you know, quickly sort of change consumer attitudes, shift consumer attention um, on to, to that particular, um, you know, to that particular brand. So I think absolutely what, what this is showing is that there is, um, you know, volatility is very real. The risk is um, constant um, and even brands that are, or maybe have thought of themselves as being sort of infallible or, um, you know, uh, immune to shifts in uh, this empowered consumer sort of attitude um, are really never fully safe. Um, And companies always have an opportunity to uh, kind of swoop in and um, play to consumer emotion and um, engender trust and bolster this engagement and quickly um, kind of shift the, uh, the, the overall picture. So why don't we do this? Why don't we get inside what this index is? Because we're measuring four different dimensions in it. So why don't we start with uh, one of the four, the first affiliation, if you could describe what we're trying to get at in that measure. Yeah, so affiliation is one of the attitudes that we found to be um, among the strongest predictors of um, a a shift in consumer attitude and um, a a driver of the appetite for innovation um, versus um, something that causes consumers to be less inclined to to engage with a brand or with innovation. So when we talk about affiliation, what that really means is um, how eager consumers are to affiliate with a tribe or a community. So that could be um, their willingness to or, or eagerness to engage with a particular brand, um, their eagerness to be part of another sort of community, but anything that reinforces this sense of um, being part of a group that's larger than the individual um, and, and having that then validate their identity. That's essentially what we're measuring in that particular attitude. So is this a measure about whether an individual is a lemming or leader, whether they will follow sort of the broad patterns uh, in the marketplace and or they'll be lone wolves or is this something other? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think that it's not necessarily um, that people are, uh, you know, um, sort of classified as, as or increasingly classified as lone wolves and kind of going off and creating their own worlds that we might see play out in, in news events or, or uh, in, in the media or even in their buying behaviors. I think this is more about um, a, this intrinsic, um, almost like a personality trait, essentially, that um, uh, is capturing um, how consumers feel like they need to, um, uh, you know, uh, connect with a, a community or connect with a brand to validate their identity versus how uh, eager they are to sort of withdraw into their own world and, and not engage uh, with with a brand or, or with a with a larger community. So the second one here, uh, Anjali, is novelty. Could you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So novelty essentially means that consumers have an appetite for new experiences. They are in the mood to um, take a little bit of an adventure, um, you know, venture far from home and kind of learn something new, see something new. Um, maybe they're willing to take a risk, right? They feel confident enough that they want to um, take a little bit of a leap in hopes of, of, of better returns. Um, versus that feeling of needing reassurance and comfort and, and sort of feeling risk averse. 
you and I talked before about the difference between sort of customers sort of self-inventing versus that there's a virtuous cycle. There's a set of, of entities out there that are innovating. Customers join them, participate, experiment with them. They take on those habits and they, they create, they move from an experiment to an expectation, which sort of cues the market to go further and further. Is this a comment about how well that virtuous cycle is working or a comment about just experimentation and novelty in its, in its sort of own essence? Yeah, I think this is a comment about experimentation and novelty. So again, what we're really measuring here is what the consumer's energy is at a particular moment and what that indicates about their likelihood or readiness to engage with a brand more deeply versus withdraw from a brand. So if marketers sort of know that and can tune into that, then uh, they can shape uh, either an experience or, um, you know, content uh, to really resonate for that true kind of moment-to-moment marketing and, and appeal to consumers at that particular moment in time. Which I think is a, is a good segue to the third measure, which is efficacy, which goes to how capable, I think, the individual feels. Exactly. Yep. So efficacy captures how confident consumers are in their ability to um, use their resources and get what they want. Um, so again, that's a, a great example, right? If you have a, a terrific day at work, you have you know a really sort of fulfilling I don't know moment with your you know your family or your friends. Um, you know, you are feeling really good about yourself, and you you know want to use your resources and um, kind of cash in on them, right? And and if you're all of a sudden faced with maybe a difficult problem or um, some sort of challenge, you will feel more. Um, confident in your ability to overcome that problem or sort of find a solution. Um, so this is a, an attitude that drives behavior around, um, like, uh, you know, following sort of brands that consumers are really um, interested in, even if it might be a little bit difficult, or learning about a new tool or technology that promises to enhance your quality of life, um, help you make better decisions, even if it comes with a little bit of a learning curve. This is consumers that are sort of dialed up on this dimension of, of efficacy are going to um, want to invest the effort to reap the most benefit. Yeah, and just a story behind this. When we introduced Spotify and Sonos to our house, my children, I'm no longer in my 20s, and my children quickly figure out how to work this. Um, and there was uh, this learning curve which was centered on true skill building mixed with mockery. And it sort of dealt with the search for novelty, uh, my sense of skill, and to the brings us to the fourth dimension, which is trust, which is how much I trusted them to look after my own interests versus I was merely uh, the protagonist in their Shakespearean tragedy. So could you talk about the trust part? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So trust is a really interesting one. And, um, you know, I'll be completely honest in that we're, we're looking at several different ways to measure this um, because trust is really a, a, a sort of a multifaceted, multidimensional concept um, and, you know, is, is incredibly personal and then sort of manifests uh, behaviors uh, differently according to, to different individuals. And so essentially where we are right now and, and what we've landed on is um, defining trust as how willing consumers are to believe that companies will do what's right and will essentially keep, you know, keep their promises, um, whereas, you know, sort of the counterpoint to that would be this idea of uh, kind of skepticism where consumers feel the need to 
slow down, um, you know, question some things, sort of learn more about a company um, and, and really kind of wrap their head around a specific concept before they're able to move forward and, and uh, engage with the brand. Yeah, and to me, this is the of the four, this is the one that at least I find most interesting because this news tends to go to trust to me first. It erodes trust, which is going back to the Facebook example or going back to any of the breaches. There's a sense of, am I being violated? Can I trust that the digital economy is working on my behalf or it's essentially insipid and ultimately I'm either already being victimized or will be victimized? To me, it feels like trust is very much a big element in today's market, whether garnered because of fake news or whatever the reason is, trust feels very important to me at this point in time. Do you have the same sense? Yeah, I absolutely do. And even in conversations that I've been having with, um, you know, with clients really across the board, if trust is not explicitly part of the conversation, it is inherently part of, um, you know, almost every conversation when you're talking about how and why consumers will change their behavior, how and why they'll engage with brands, how ready they are to adopt an innovation, um, you know, to, to even internalize a new product or, or experience. Um, trust is, is uh, very much a part of that. And we've been doing research on that for several years at Forrester, and it's something that we will uh, be continuing to evolve um, be, you know, because there is so much more to trust than sort of um, the, the operationalized definitions that um, oftentimes we have to use for research. And so we're really looking into the different elements and dimensions of that and, and measuring that over time. This is an exciting index to me because – there's a lot of discussion by Forrester, of course, and you can see it by our clients as well, sort of accepting that this is a customer-led market. And what this is doing is is creating sort of the currency of what we mean by that. And how does that change? Because it's not a straight path. It's not as if expectations just are linearly increasing. It's a comment that the market is inherently volatile and what's important for brands is to start paying attention to those fluctuations and understand how they how they get in front of them, how they respond to them, how they understand what's behind them. So this begins to clarify at a level of detail, detail in terms of precision of measure as well as time, as to what actually is happening with the consumer out there. Right, exactly. And I think that if brands can tune in to this uh, concept of, you know, this, this consumer energy, essentially, uh, which is really sort of the fundamental... Um, you know, thing that's underlying how and why consumer attitudes are changing and, and behaviors are evolving. Um, if brands can really tune into that, then they can gain um, incisive insight into um, how consumers are really feeling about a particular um, you know company or product, or how they're feeling broadly, and then how to again tailor messaging um, that really respects how consumers feel at a particular moment of time and ideally fits with those four attitudes that we just uh, that, that we just mentioned, right? Affiliation, novelty, efficacy, and trust. Um, and ideally, if, if brands can um, move consumers sort of up the scales um, and, and uh, amplify those feelings of uh, affiliation, novelty, efficacy, and trust, then, you know, those are the uh, things that will uh, sort of cause consumers to be oriented towards the brand, to uh, want to engage with a company, um, want to you know follow the brand when uh, it leads them to something interesting, and um, at the end of the day, possibly even uh, forgive the company. 
This is a very interesting body of research. I mean, I know we're just getting started with this, but we're already getting some early learnings as you described them. Uh, so for our audience out there, stay tuned. We're working hard to put this out in the marketplace and, and give you guys a sense of underneath this empowered customer, what is actually transpiring and how fluid and how volatile it is. And to your point, how brands should try to get in front of this and react. So I really thank you for your time, Anjali, to kind of walk us through it. Yeah, absolutely. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you. Likewise. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or TuneIn. And don't forget to leave us a review. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.